Do you wish to offer anything? Any questions about wholehearted sitting or wholehearted conversation? Yes, my okay. <clears throat> I would like to I would like to ask you about two points. Um, would you say that being silent and still is something anything is 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 meeting it? It is meeting it. So is is that one way of conversing? Would you please say it again louder? <clears throat> Would you say that being silent and still with anything is a need? And yes, but not sufficient. Something more is required in the meeting than just meeting. Even though the meeting includes this thing, if we don't practice it, we won't realize it. So what is that thing? in the meeting to make the meeting complete. What is that thing? I would say that we need to meet in silence and stillness, but we also need to give a gift. <clears throat> Really, when we do, if we really meet, we are giving a gift. But in order to realize that we're giving a gift, we should give a gift. And the gift that we give is our world, you know, how we're feeling, what, what our questions, our, you know, our experience we need to give to the other. <clears throat> and we need to give it in a way that encourages them also give in the meeting that's already there but if we don't do this ritual of generosity with other with the other it's not complete when we're practicing silence and stillness that's the same as being generous with ourselves letting ourselves be not manipulating but to realize silence and stillness with others without we need to give them something Without, using, without making that gift of manipulation. We need to give them the gift of encouraging them to be just like they are. So really, we're trying to enact reality. So in reality, we are meeting completely, but we need to offer gifts in order to realize it. And we need to others to offer us gifts. So. If I offer you, like I did earlier, I offered you some gifts. And in response to my gifts, you asked some questions about my gifts. So if I offer you gifts, you're, you're going to have some, then my gifts are offered uh, what do you call it? so that I can be called into question. My gifts are offered, and I'm also calling this gift into question by offering it to you and others. That all that fills out the wholeheartedness of the meeting. 
second, the second um, point I would like you to speak about, please, is um, my husband studies uh, consciousness, and he he believes that his his big greatest practice is to practice. He calls it uh, conscious awareness at every moment. That's that's the that's what he's his practice is. Um, um, but there's no silence and stillness in that practice, and so um, to me it sounds like. And when I try to do his practice, it feels like um, I'm trying to do it. But when I sit zazen, you know, um, it's I I, I kind of know a little bit about how I'm not really sitting zazen. So I'm just zazen is just sitting me a little bit, and so. Um, <clears throat> What do you say about that? <laughs> <laughs> in it sounds to me, what I'm hearing is that in consciousness, um, there sometimes appears a thought like I'm doing something. So, or I'm practicing silence and stillness. Such a thought can arise. Or not, let's start with that one. There's a thought, I am practicing or I want to practice silence and stillness. That's the kind of thing that sometimes happens in the consciousness of practitioners of meditation. So what I'm talking about is when a thought like, when that thought or any thought arises, then be silent and still with that thought. For example, there could also be the thought, I'm not practicing silence and stillness. So silence and stillness would be to be generous with that thought. Would, would it otherwise be considered meddling? If you're not silent and still with it, you'd be meddling, yes. Silent and still means you're, you're like turning away or touching it, or you're hesitating, or you're getting excited about it. However, there's no what to call eternal damnation in this teaching. So that if something happens and I hesitate, that's not the practice to hesitate. Practice is if something happens, no hesitation and no excitement. Just something happens and there's silence and stillness in that, in that thing, that, that delusion of something happening. Really, nothing happens. <clears throat> but in consciousness, it looks like things are happening. Really, there's no origination of anything. But it looks like there's origination. Okay, if we practice silence and stillness with the appearance of origination, we'll become free of that illusion. And, and the way to practice the silence and stillness is not to hesitate and not to get excited, not to turn away and not to touch it. That's how we are with whatever inwardly <clears throat> and then with that then by practicing that way inwardly now we enter into conversation and continue that practice outwardly 
And we also bring the tranquility and openness that develops in that inward training. We bring that to the conversation. So we don't meddle with thoughts like, I'm practicing silence and stillness. I'm not practicing silence and stillness. I don't know how to practice the silence and stillness. <laughs> I don't want to practice silence and stillness. <laughs> I think this is stupid. You know, whatever. Anything can anything can go on. I, I mean, I wouldn't not necessarily anything, but it's infinite varieties of thoughts can arise in karmic consciousness, and they all can be met with complete generosity, which can also be called silence and stillness. And that goes, and that would also be called conscious awareness. So we have conscious awareness, and then we have conscious awareness of conscious awareness. And we notice in conscious awareness that there is thoughts like, I like her and I don't like him. Or I'm practicing this and I'm not practicing that. All those kinds of things are going on in consciousness. And so being aware of that is necessary. But not just being aware of it, but then in that awareness, not turning away or touching it. Not turning away from the awareness and or anything of its contents. And this is called also wholehearted sitting, yes? Would you say something about boundaries? Sometimes I hear boundaries are a gift you can give. Sometimes I'm encouraged to create some boundaries. I don't have enough boundaries. Can you say something about boundaries? Could you, could you repeat it because I can't hear Sorry. Can I do what? Repeat your question in oh. any way you like. I heard her say, how about boundaries? Sometimes she feels like she's encouraged to have boundaries. And sometimes she's told she doesn't have enough boundaries. Anything else you said? That's enough. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in. In egocentric consciousness, which again, we've all got. In self-centered awareness, which we've all got. Sometimes what appears there is a boundary. Like, for example, someone comes to us and we feel that we'd like some distance. When they're that far away, Okay, but at a certain point, we feel like a boundary would be good. Uh, like, for example, someone may be talking to you, and you might feel like, oh, I think it would be good to have the talk stop. <laughs> 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 
been having trouble keeping up with this. <laughs> or in other ways, I'm noticing I'm get, feeling stressed. Uh, I'm having trouble being generous towards this. <laughs> I, I think it might be good. <laughs> Again, excuse the association. This looks like a job for boundaries. <laughs> now, part of the problem is that if someone is going, we have this situation of hard to get a word in edgewise. So we need to develop skills of how to get something in edgewise when we're on the verge of being overwhelmed or feel like we're being overwhelmed. We need to know how to give a gift there. And again, the gift needs to be a gift, not, not trying to control the other person. So if I use a boundary to control them, that's not the spirit here. Spirit is, I got a boundary, I got a gift. Everything in me is a gift, could be a gift. But how do you make this a gift? Well, you don't use it as a, as a way, you don't use it to get excited or to turn or to uh, hesitate. So you, say, you, might, you, you might be able to like go, I sometimes tell people, you can go like this with me. <laughs> if I'm talking to him, I just go like this, I'll stop. So you might say, could we, excuse me, hello, could, could I say something? And you can do it not to manipulate, but just to offer a gift. Maybe, maybe it would be helpful if I, if I offered something. Could I offer something? And as soon as you do that, in a sense, you're offering a boundary. But not to manipulate, just as like, I, have, I, I think I've got something here to give. May I give a give something to this conversation? But you do feel it. You feel like, hey, there's something here. I'm feeling uncomfortable. How can I? How could how could I give this this in a way that's really not manipulating, not trying to control the person, and but giving the gift of my world, and in my world, I think it would be good to have a little break in in their talking, for example, or to have a little break in their approach to me. They're getting a little close. I'm starting to feel uncomfortable. I think that's who I am. I mean, that's what I've got here. I need to give this to them in order to have a conversation. I can't not give me, I can't, I can't not give my world and still have a conversation. They seem to be giving, giving me plenty. That, I appreciate that. I don't know if they're doing it, but may, and maybe my discomfort is that they're, maybe they're using their words to manipulate me. Maybe that's what's making me uncomfortable. Is they're not like, just like, Hey, here's a gift. They're like, here's a gift, and here's another one, and here's another one, and here's another one before you get a chance to say anything. So I have a whole bunch of stories like this of this kind of situation. So I'll tell this story. I'd like to know who's heard this story before. I took a walk with somebody at Green Gulch 
very nice walk in the mountains around Green Gulch. And we finished, came back to Green Gulch after the walk, and it was a nice walk. And I was like, thank you. See you later. Thank you for the nice walk. Bye-bye. And as I was about to conclude our nice walk, this person started to talk to me. Very nice person. And so I couldn't get away because he was talking to me. I didn't know how to walk away in a in a kind way. And he was and every time I was about to say something, he would speed up. <laughs> and I just couldn't see any way to say, I'd like to go. I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling overwhelmed by your very nice speech. Your very kind speech, but you're which are giving me no space to say anything. And I was feeling more and more and more dead. I was feeling suffocated. How many people heard this story before? One. Got it? That's not bad. <laughs> and just about the time when I was almost passing out, or lashing out, to, to escape, like, I'm getting out of here, or stop knocking. <laughs> I didn't want to talk. He was very nice, but I didn't want to talk that way. I didn't want to, like, stop him from talking. But I did want to offer him a boundary. But I couldn't think of one that was kind <clears throat> to him. I could think they would be kind for me, like, can I go? That <laughs> might have offended him. Like, he might say, did I hurt your feel? No, you're just strangling me. <laughs> You're just like squeezing the life out of me <laughs> with your nice speech. I couldn't, I didn't think that would be helpful. But I was looking for, I was scouting around for a gift to give him so that he could stop that and I could, you know, walk away. So in this case, I didn't think of anything in a sense. I, my, I didn't think, I, in my conscience, I didn't think of this gift, but a gift came to me. And the gift was, my, in my father's voice, I heard, do you remember what I heard? Rebbe, I love you. Yeah. I love you, Rebbe. My father's voice. I love you, Rebbe. I heard that voice. That was came into my, my consciousness. And I said to him, Thanks for the talk, and walked away. And it was fine. I love you, Rebbe. Just okay. See you. See you later. Thanks for the talk and the walk. I got a gift, and I gave him a gift. The gift giving was initiated, but not. But I can't. I. I didn't. I couldn't manipulate. I couldn't come up with anything but it was given to me. And so I offered him this nice boundary. Thank you. And bye-bye. And it, just, it was just fine. So boundaries do come up, and sometimes they don't. And if they don't, then you can give your partner, you can give your partner no boundaries. And then you can, and then you can say, have any questions about that? No boundaries, and they say, "Yeah, I, uh, 
I have boundaries. Oh, you do? Oh. Then now suddenly I'm starting to wake up to boundaries in them. So when they come up, it would be good to be generous towards them and then watch for the time when it's appropriate to share the boundary with another. And, and then let and then let them question it. Or and one way to share a boundary <laughs> with others is to say, could I ask you a question? That's a nice way to share a boundary. And the question might be, which I have done quite a few times, I often say to people, could I ask a question? And they say, yes. And I say, did you want this to be a monologue? <laughs> and they almost always say no. But the fact that I could say, can I ask a question, starts it not being a monologue. And then, and then them saying yes keeps it not being a monologue. And then me asking, do you want it to be a monologue, continues it. And them saying no, continues it. And then, uh, you know, but I have, sometimes I have to go for a while to feel like, hmm, it seems like a monologue rather than a conversation. Oh. And then watch for the time when, can I ask a question? Could I ask a question? And they're offering you these gifts. And actually, their wisdom body is offering you gifts to realize this face-to-face meeting. But they need you to question them. And it may take you a while to find the question. And when you start questioning, that, that's just what they need. So it isn't just I give gifts. I need my gifts to be questioned. And all my gifts are questionable, really, in both senses. Questionable, doubtable, but also they can, I want them to be questioned. And my boundaries, are when I give them, they're also questionable. So I can say to someone, you know, I really don't want to do that. And they can say to me, oh, yes, you do. And I can say, you're right. It, the gifts are not are not to pin the other person down. They're they're gifts to the process, and and this gift giving does not bind me when I give it. It doesn't hinder my autonomy. My autonomy is necessary part of the giving and the giving is a necessary part of autonomy. If I act without it being generous, I undermine my autonomy. If I offer it autonomously and spontaneously, it is generous. And then the other's questions of me intensify my autonomy and enhance the questioners. So boundaries are a great opportunity for mutual generosity. But not to, you know, firmly establish the boundary. Like we have this idiom of set boundaries. And I want to be generous towards that idiom. But I often mention, maybe you could try giving boundaries rather than setting them. Setting them sounds unilateral. Giving them is not. 
when you give them, when you give them, you're not giving them, you're not conveying them to control. <clears throat> you're conveying them to liberate. And when you convey them for liberation, one of the signs that you're conveying them properly is others feel like they can question them. And then you can question their questioning. Yes. Yes. Uh, in your talk, you mentioned meeting the Buddha face to face. Can you describe your experience meeting the Buddha or how? My experience of meeting the Buddha is like this. Right now, I'm meeting the Buddha. And the Buddha's smiling. <laughs> but the smiling's not over there or over here. It's, it's this relationship is the Buddha's smile. Yes. I was, uh, you started, I think I heard you talking about our training, that our training helps us in this process. Yeah. And um, could you talk a little more about that? Like the sitting in Zazen and meeting our meeting uh, wholeheartedly, um, how that in these conversations that where we feel um where we're, where we're giving a gift, where we're looking for a gift to give, and how that how they work together. Mm -hmm. Well, if you want to start with the training of, of coming into a Zen temple and sitting, so you come and you sit, and then maybe while you're sitting, uh, not maybe, definitely while you're sitting, various experiences will manifest in your consciousness. In your egocentric consciousness, various things will appear. And if you practice, and then um, most people who practice Zen, practice Zen meditation, have that experience of something happens when they're sitting. And most do not immediately or consistently, right away, practice generosity to what's happening to them with them. Sometimes when they first start sitting, they actually do practice generosity. They go in and sit down, and something's happening, and they go, mm, wow. And then they get over that <laughs> and, start, and start, you know, maybe being not generous towards what's happening. So a lot of Zen students, when they're sitting, they have the idea that it would be good to, to, be, to develop imperturbable tranquility. And they have that idea. And I have that idea, too. That would be good. But they're not generous with that idea. They use that idea to beat themselves up. And uh, then when something that doesn't seem to be imperturbable tranquility arises in consciousness, rather than saying, welcome something other than imperturbable <laughs> concentration, they, maybe they say, get out of here. We do not want any distraction in this consciousness. We do not want any dis any agitation. We want this is a place for tranquility. <laughs> Many Zen students have experienced something like that. And of course, that just makes them more agitated. 
And, and, but again, it's not eternal damnation because you can recover and be generous to the consequences of not being generous. So if, if you've got a distracted, egocentric, disturbed consciousness, and you're not generous with it, it generally will become more distracted and more, more, perm, more deeply egocentric. And you can notice that and then, be, and then start practicing generosity and we enter into what's called recovery from that ungenerous mm -hmm. response to our state of body and mind. So that's, that's the training. And sometimes people have some difficulty with that training. They're, they're having trouble finding generosity with what's going on with them. You gave a gift. You weren't trying to manipulate her, were you? You weren't trying to get her to stop coughing. <laughs> so then sometimes people do, even before they arrive at tranquility and stillness, their tra tranquility and I should say stillness and silence with their going, even before their training has reached that full realization of that, still they might go to talk to a Dharma friend, a teacher to share that they're having problems being silent and still with this monkey mind, okay? And then in the conversation, the person they talk to might help them discover a more generous way to be <laughs> with their <laughs> so then again I've had the experience with myself early in my practice of not being generous with myself and realizing that's not what I that's not the training I came for I came to get training to be like these bodhisattvas who you know really could respect themselves and others and then I got into the training and I started to try to coerce myself into tranquility. And I and I got my I, I did coerce myself into having an undistracted, imperturbable mind, but it was it was not it was not soft and open. So I gave up that fascist kind of practice. <laughs> and it's good that I did. And then I heard from since then, 50, more than 50 years, I've been listening to people of bringing their fascism and their obsessive compulsive way of practice, which is not generous. And then I help them be kind to the agitated, disturbed consciousness, which they're giving to me, so I can then question it, and so on. That's the training. And so in that case, the conversation helps the, can help us do the wholehearted sitting and the whole, but and, and then when the wholehearted sitting is mature, then we can bring it to the conversation. If it's not mature, we bring it to the conversation. The conversation can help us find out what stillness and silence really is about. But again, that's the silence and stillness isn't enough. We need it in combination with conversation to liberate all the different aspects of clinging in the karmic consciousness. So the, the stillness and silence 
enhances the conversation and the conversation enhances the silence and stillness. The generosity of silence and stillness supports and augments the generosity of the conversation and the conversation deepens the generosity of silence and stillness back and forth, back and forth. Yes. Can you say something about, you mentioned conversation between self and teacher. Can yeah. you say something about the beneficial context of Dharma as a practitioner, Dharma, practitioner, Dharma, and it's talking to each other? It's not just in one setting. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not just, sort of the prototype uh, is between the Dharma teacher and student. But it's it's it, that prototype is for the purpose of doing that with everybody, and so and it's particularly doing it with people. Well, again, there's a sense of difference between teacher and student. So you get over that in that conversation. You, you get over that that boundary between teacher and student. Then you then you encounter the boundary between man and woman, between old and young between people of different races and et cetera. So we bring it to all situations. We bring this silence and stillness to conversations with people who are have a different world from ours. And we give them our world as a gift, not to get them to switch to our world, but actually we give them our world so they can question our world and then and when and when they give us their questions, they're giving us their world, and then we can test to see can we question theirs. And this mutual questioning is to be done with all beings. But we we start with those who are, I don't know, almost professionally committed to this practice. It's it's you know, like those who are like primarily in their life. This is what they're working on. And then we extend it to people who don't yet know that this is what they want to do. Like a lot of people say, what about people who don't want to practice this? It's the same with them. They don't yet know that they want to do this. And you don't tell them they do. But you show them this practice. You give them your world. And then you, and if you give it skillfully, you notice that they question you. They don't just like, okay. They, they say, what does that mean? And May I may I give you my perspective? And yes. So yeah, we want to do this with all beings. But again, the, the prototype is the Buddha and sentient beings. But the the point of it is to extend it to all beings. And so a big part of what we're suffering with now is people who are in have different worlds are having trouble sharing their worlds. So we're trying to reach everyone, and it's not to get everybody to have the same world. It's not for the these people to get those people to agree with these people. <laughs> it's to give our differences respectfully and realize harmony from our different perspectives. We're not going to get rid of difference. <clears throat> But before, which is not happening. So while while we still have difference, 
let's start talking, communicating so that we can become liberated from our karmic consciousness and realize justice between different worldviews. Like that, that song, you know, um, which I often sing at summertime. The original lyrics, summertime, the original lyrics was, um, Hush, little baby, don't you cry. You know? Hush, little baby, don't you cry. I changed the word to rest, little baby, even while you cry. So while we're crying, let's rest and converse. Not tell the babies to stop crying. Like some people say, you're too sensitive. <laughs> stop crying. I know that people are tempted to do that because it's so painful when the baby's crying. But how about rest, little baby? Not try to shut them up. Give them a gift. Rest. But not manipulating them into shutting up. Rest. Even now while you're crying, I'm not going to shut you up. I'm here with you. I'm giving you a gift of being with you. I'm not trying to shut you up. So you can then hear yourself. And if you want to keep crying, I'll keep being with you. Another story that comes to my mind is I was taking care of my grandson when he was a little boy. But this tall, maybe three or four, and he came to, to the monastery to stay with me for a while. Like he was going to stay for four days. He had never been away from his mother that long. And after about two days, he said, <clears throat> try to do this. I want my mom. 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 Even when I was crying, he could say, keep saying that over really fast. <laughs> and I said, okay, you can go home. But I listened to him for a while before I said that. And, you know, until he did this amazing demonstration of I want my mom. <laughs> <laughs> And then he, he was then he was fine. And so you can go back tomorrow. So the next morning he said, Remember yesterday when I said, I want my mom, want my mom, want my mom? He said, mm -hmm. he says, Wasn't that silly? <laughs> I didn't tell him it was silly. Not at all. I just listened to him and I said, Okay, you, you can go back tomorrow. <clears throat> But he, he could hear himself because I was listening to him. He could listen to him. And he could see it. that was kind of silly. Not bad, just kind of silly. And it was kind of funny, too. This extremely hot. I can't do it as fast as he did. It was, it, was, it was really lovely. And I felt like, yeah, he was questioning. He was setting a boundary. I've had enough of this being away from my mom. I don't want any more being away from my mom. I don't want to go. I want my mom. So, okay. Let's, let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> and, and then the, and then the sad part of the story is 
the next day after we went out of the monastery over the mountain and down the hill on the other side, he got kind of worked up again because his mom wasn't there to meet him yet. And I did something which was not so good. I gave him some ice cream. <laughs> Rather than listening, just listening to him and being with him, I gave him some ice cream. And he stopped crying. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. My grandfatherly love was somehow, I don't know, I just lost it. <laughs> and got into grandfatherly manipulation, <laughs> which unfortunately temporarily works. These these uh, these drugs temporarily, <laughs> but listening doesn't work. Well, we're listening temporary too, but it's not addictive. It's a practice, and we have to work at it. It's not addictive, but it's really good, right? <laughs> It's not exciting. It's actually common. You're listening. Avalokiteshvara is the listener, not the manipulator. The great listener, not the great manipulator. But the listening liberates beings. And, you know, it's not that much. Just listening. Sounds and stillness is not that much. But it sets the stage for liberation. <clears throat> yes and yes. There's two these two people there. Yes. So on the note, saying boundaries. Could you a little louder, please? On the notes of you know saying boundaries and um listen. Um, so it's one thing when you are doing that between yourself and someone else, right? But what if you're in a situation where all these other people besides you, um, who are more popular, but you notice that they, um, oftentimes they have very strong, um, egocentric consciousness and and you notice that a lot of times uh, their tendency tend to cause uh, disharmony. And he wants to help them, help them understand, maybe help them listen to each other more because you notice that a lot of times the issue is that they're misinterpreting each other or not properly understanding what the other person is saying. And you want to help them to reach a place where they will be more willing to listen to each other and be more harmonious. But then there's that paradox of, well, I'm trying to get them to do something. You know, that's that in the sense, right? So, how would I help them do that in a way that's, you know, giving them a gift? And, and, and. Well, just now you. <clears throat> You offered a gift at the, at the conclusion of what you just said. You just offered a gift in the form of a question. 
I thought, when something's going on, one of the main gifts that's often appropriate is to ask a question. And again, the offering of the gift of the question has an element of timing in it. So maybe you wait, just like just now, you offered the question at the end of what you said. So that I could just say, well, right there, there's your gift. Not to say what you said before wasn't, but the conclusion of your gift to me was a question. So I could receive that question and say, well, that's right there. That's often what the gift, that's often the appropriate gift. And, you know, a question, and again, I can, you can look and I can look into this karmic consciousness, into this egocentric consciousness and see, is the gift given, is the question really a gift, or am I giving the question to get the conversation to go this way or that way? If I'm trying to get people to go over to see this by this question, it's not really, uh, uh, it's, not as a, it's not as generous a gift. But just to offer the gift and see and, and, and see how it goes. Like I remember I watched Sikurashi offer incense one time. And he put the incense stick in. But I felt like he was going like putting the incense stick in as a gift. Like we make the offering of the incense gift to the Buddha. Put the incense in and then like see what happens. <laughs> Rather than put it in to get it to be like this way. Well, yes, you do put it in like this, but also like, now what? How, how did that go? And I thought you, your question to me was like, you weren't trying to manipulate me. I didn't do that. You weren't trying to get me to change my view. You could have asked a question, I think. And that way of being with the situation you described, the way you asked me that question would be a good way to talk to those <laughs> deluded people. <laughs> Who need a lot of guidance. <laughs> But the guidance to give them is the guidance of generosity, not the guidance is, which is trying to manipulate them. Because that's, that's what you see them doing, and you see it's not working. So if you can ask a question, really just ask a question. And again, that reminds me of a story. <laughs> One here? So I was lecturing on this ancient Mahayana sutra called the Heroic Strides Concentration, Heroic Shurangama Samadhi Sutra, the, the concentration on the heroic stride of the Bodhisattva. That's what I said to Yazan yesterday. Stride forth, hero of enlightenment. So that's the name of the sutra. And the beginning of the sutra is about this bodhisattva who is in the presence of the Buddha and the bodhisattva has this thought, I would like to ask the Buddha a question, a question that, and then he goes down the list of all the benefits he hopes this question would be, of all the beings he hoped this question would help, all the forms of suffering he hoped this question would liberate. And, uh, yeah, and then, <laughs> and, and then, the Buddha sees this in his mind that he wants to ask this question, this wonderful question. And the Buddha says, yeah, that would, that would be great to ask a question like that. 
And if you ask a question like that, and then Buddha talks about how wonderful it would be if you asked a question like that. <laughs> Asking questions is like, I mean, in a sense, generosity is really asking questions. So anyway, uh, my 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 attendant, my assistant, during during one of the breaks, he went back to his his room, and um, he he hadn't been doing much administrative work during the session. But he thought maybe I should check the voicemails. No, no, I think no. I think the telephone rang. He said, maybe I should ask, answer the telephone. I'm not sure. Anyway, he did answer, receive a telephone call and talk to a person on the telephone. And the person was interested in offering him the opportunity to have a credit card. <laughs> <laughs> so he's in, a, he's in an intensive meditation, and now he's talking to a woman who wants him to consider getting a new credit card. <laughs> and she's telling him about, she's going on and on <laughs> about the virtues of the credit card. And then he has this thought like the Bodhisattva in the Sutra. Maybe it would be helpful for me to ask a question. So he said, could I ask a question? And she said, yes. And he said, do you have to have a certain income to to get this credit card. So that sutra helped him not manipulate her, but just, I didn't feel like he was trying to get her to stop talking. I just, just because he heard the sutra, he thought maybe I should ask a question. Again, not to try to stop her from this sales talk, but just, just naturally arose. I love you. Can I ask a question? And she said, yes. And he said, do you have to have a certain income to, to get this credit card? And she said, well, yes. Uh -huh. And she said, well, how much do you, and she said, well, how much do you make? And then he told her how much he made. And she said, where do you live? <laughs> <laughs> She'd never heard of anybody having such a low income. Where do you live? He said, well, I live in this Zen temple. And and we said, what do you do there? And, he, and, then, and then he told her what what they do. You know, she said, can I live there? <laughs> and he said, yes. And she said, can I smoke? <laughs> and he said, well, you can smoke, but you have to smoke in designated areas, which are about five miles from the church. <laughs> anyway, this is the Bodhisattva way. When people are trying to sell us something or trying to sell each other something, for the sake of the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha, may I ask a question? I'm not trying to manipulate you. I just have a question. Do you have to have a certain income? Do you have to, do you have to be a certain color? Do you have to be a certain gender? Do you have to be a certain this? That question might arise. Do you give that as a gift? And, and then the person comes into the, comes into the Dharma. And, and they'll watch 
is there any manipulative impurities in my question? Well, then it's not a gift. Is this really a gift? Maybe so. I think that's pretty good. Okay, let's try it. And then, and then you try it, and, and maybe as the conversation develops, you discover some some clinging in your gift. So then, try it again, and again until you learn how to offer the gift of questions to the conversation of the Buddha to to people who are fighting. The Buddha is not trying to stop the fight. The Buddha cannot. The Buddha could not control the fights that were going on during the Buddha's life, and right now the Buddha is not able to stop the fights that are going on. The Buddha is trying to show people how to wake up in this present world, and there will be more fights, but then there'll be more teaching of how to bring justice and peace to injustice and war. And again, and again, these are parallel processes. And we're trying to emphasize the process of compassion and freedom in the face of unkindness and bondage. Yes, the other man back there? Or woman? <laughs> I can't hear you. You don't want to. Okay. If some people's worlds are dark, and I wonder if you think everything's a gift. Well, you just you just gave me a gift. I felt I didn't feel like you were trying to manipulate me. I felt like you gave me a gift just now of telling me your boundary. Mm. You just told me your boundary. And I want to respect your boundary. And I'm not trying to talk you into what you're not ready to try on. Mm. Pardon? I can't hear you. So you do, you, you do believe that every action I believe every action is a gift. So I believe if you tell me what you're not up for, that's a gift to me. And I, 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 I see it, you as giving me a gift just now of telling me what seems to be like a limit on what you're up for. And we do have limits and we should respect our limits. So you... You have so you have some boundaries. You do not want to hear from certain people. I respect that boundary, and I hope that by respecting that boundary, you can also respect that boundary. And respecting the boundary doesn't mean you hold on to it. It just means, oh, I have a boundary. I have a gift to give to the world, and you gave it. Mm-hmm. You gave your boundary to the world. It, I see it as a gift. And I'm not saying give me another one, <laughs> but if you do, I want to. I want to re- receive it. I'm not trying to coerce you into having no boundaries. I'm not trying to coerce you into anything, but I am trying to what listen to you and give you gifts 
to help you awaken to your gift giving, mm -hmm. which I believe is going on. I believe everything about you is a gift. And I want you to wake up to that. And I want and I want to wake up to it. But today I've been pretty awake to you as a gift. Louder, please. May I ask a question? Yes, you may. It, it, the that it is unjust is also a gift. So I heard the word unjust, and what did you say before that? The behavior that is unjust is the, the what that's the behavior what? that is unjust is also okay. a gift, and that was a question. So if somebody is acting unjust, yes. If I see some person being unjust, I see that person as giving me a gift of injustice. And then I want, and I want to receive the gift of this appearance of injustice in such a way as to liberate that person and me from that appearance. But that doesn't mean to deny the appearance of injustice. It means to respect that appearance and see it as a gift and give a gift back to that, give a gift back to that injustice. And if that injustice is receives the gift, then then we're promoting liberation from that from that appearance of injustice. The same with cruelty. If I if the appearance of cruelty appears in my life, I want to see that cruelty as a gift. I want to understand it's a gift, and then I want to respond generously to that cruelty, so that that cruelty, that person, and me can be free together from cruelty. I want to liberate beings from cruelty, and I also want to liberate <laughs> beings from kindness. No matter what it is, I want people not to be stuck in it. So cruelty is a terrible thing. It's the worst thing. Hmm? It ter it's terrible, and I want to receive it as a gift and respond to it with generosity and respect so that we can be free of cruelty. Thank you for your gifts. Yes. I noticed that in your response, uh, you made the distinction between justice and the appearance of justice. You know, I, 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 it would help if you could you come a little closer. I'm having a little trouble hearing the people in the back of the other room. I noticed that in your response, you made a distinction between injustice and the appearance of injustice. Yeah. Would you mind kind of uh, parsing apart between what you mean by the appearance of injustice? Okay. Is so, the appearance of injustice injustice, or are those two separate things? For example, right now I'm having I'm, there's an appearance of you in my consciousness, but the appearance of you is not you. <clears throat> okay, but I I need to be aware that what I'm dealing with is the appearance of you. That's why I need to ask you some questions sometimes to find out what you think about what I what's appearing to me. But. If 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 I if if I saw what I what if if injustice injustice appears in my consciousness, 
That's not actually the injustice, but that's how it appears in my consciousness. If I treat that appearance of injustice properly, I will open up to the reality of injustice and liberate the reality of injustice. If I, met, if I only deal with the appearance of injustice and don't re remember that I'm dealing with my idea about it, not the actual thing, then I will be trapped by the appearance and the reality. But by practicing generosity with the appearance, I will become liberated from the appearance and the reality of injustice. Or, I or another way to put it is, by being generous and in wholehearted conversation with the appearance of injustice, I will become free of the appearance of injustice and also my partner in conversation will become free of the appearance of injustice. And then we will together discover the reality of injustice. And in discovering the reality of injustice, we will become free of injustice, which we want. But we have to recognize that we have this karmic consciousness in which there's appearances of things that are not the things themselves. The appearance of you the phenomena of you that's appearing in my consciousness is not you. But it, I couldn't have it without you. And if I become, through genuine conversation, if you and I become free of the appearance of you, we will also become free of the, we will also become free of the total reality of you and me. And then there will be, then there will be justice. And there'll be justice, even if the appearance of justice is not present. Because we can have justice without any justice appearing. You know, we can all be in this room together, and the appearance of justice is not in any of our consciousnesses. We just see each other's faces, for example. And we may feel confidence that we have just realized justice here without even that thought in our mind. Or the thought could be in our mind, but the thought in our mind is not the justice itself. The, the thought or the appearance of enlightenment is not enlightenment itself. We can be enlightened without any appearance of it. And we can be at peace without any appearance of it. <laughs> some, some, if you ask some people, which would you like? Actual peace or the appearance of peace? Some people would choose the appearance. Okay, fine, we can work with that. But I want more than just the appearance of peace. I want the real peace. I want more than the appearance of justice. I want real justice, which includes a freedom from the appearance or non-appearance of injustice. But again, to become free of the appearance, we have to practice wholehearted silence and stillness and conversation with the appearance of injustice, 
which is very challenging. But that's our job as bodhisattvas. Mm -hmm.